any day that you're working toward a goal and you have body comp changes in mind, you're trying to stay on track, even if you can't get the food you want, you can't have the, the what you think is, quote, the right ratio of carbs to fat to protein. If you just have the amount of calories that would still equate to the energy intake you want for your goal, it's going to be a perfect day. Right, everybody, as I like to remind uh, at the beginning here, just a little bit of the premise of what we do. I, I had a, a bit of a metaphor or illustration that I want you to keep in mind. This is almost like an unboxing video on YouTube. If you follow any product kind of things and some new version of something comes out and people who are quote influencers run and, and do this unboxing video. Uh, what we do here is not the, the deepest analysis. I'm not going through all the statistical data. I'm not showing you how they you know, did all their methodology to the, the tiniest degree. When any of those things are relevant, I, I definitely bring them up. But I want you to view these as just a survey. Here's a study. We're looking at it together. I'm going to highlight some things. I'm going to look as carefully as I can at the validity and especially the application, but it's it's to just give us one more piece of a puzzle, keep us on the same page looking at some things. And today, as I said in my social media post, I think I got really, really lucky because I, I went through maybe 30 studies, just reading, skimming, looking like what would be useful. And I was almost ready to give up on what I wanted to talk about today. But I want to go as deeply as we can into actual macronutrient distribution. How many studies are there where they look at isocaloric measurements and uh, experimental studies? Because there are so many out there. If you Googled or went to PubMed, Google Scholar, something like that, like macronutrient distribution for weight loss, that kind of thing, everybody seems to have a position paper or some kind of a mini literature review and they all kind of just conclude these overly glossy summarizations. And I really want some hardcore data. So I found one finally, and I think this is a really, really good model. And there's, this may be the one that I've seen a lot of people talking about recently. I, I saw Schoenfeld, Aragon, some people like that, who were describing uh, carbs versus fat in the diet for muscle retention and so forth. And this hits on that, that it's a very current study. So I'm, I'm, I'll have to look and see if this is the one or it's just kind of a parallel study and, and just a point of um, kind of kind of luck that a couple are out there at the same time. So the, the title of this, Calorie Restriction Per Se Rather Than Dietary Macronutrient Distribution Plays a Primary Role in Metabolic Health and Body Composition Improvement in Obese Mice. So to me, first of all, they named this study after they did it. Instead of saying here per the study is what we're going to investigate, they did the study, found a couple things that maybe surprised them, and then they said, hey, what we're finding is that total calorie restriction matters more than dietary macronutrient distribution in metabolic health and body comp changes. In other words, fat loss. Ironically, I think they're selling themselves pretty short because I'm going to show you 
how much the macronutrient distribution really did impact, including uh, blood lipids, glucose disposal, uh, precursors to diabetes and heart disease, as well as body comp. So uh, part of their conclusion is certainly correct in that total weight loss was similar among all the groups, but there were definitely big changes. So it, it, to me, it was just a little bit of a weirdly understated title. But here's here's what they were looking at. They they first of all they used mice, which I want to explain, gives us some good experimental data. Um, you know, mice have ninety some percent of the same DNA we do. They're very good, um, at, you know, as as laboratory animals for a lot of the things that we test. Not quite like fruit flies in terms of you know a literal lifespan being two weeks, but you know you can do a six week study like this was, and and extrapolate that out and say, well, for a for a human, if you're going to correlate it to that, you know, that's not really a short amount of time. So it becomes pretty advantageous in terms of how much you can get into study groups and, and how much data you can draw from these. Um, still some nuances in how you have to interpret those, but just to let you know, you know, this was uh, done in mice. One of the advantages, uh, as we like to talk about in human studies, is you don't have self-reporting to deal with. You give these mice what you want them to eat, and that's the study. You know, you, you, there's just there's actually some advantages in that way. But they wanted to look at weight loss and metabolic health measures, specifically glucose tolerance, blood lipids, energy metabolism, and body composition. Uh, what they did, and I starred this parenthetical because I thought this was really interesting. Uh, they they took male mice that I believe were maybe ten weeks or so old, so kind of moving. I, you know, out of an adolescent phase. And they did 18 weeks of diet induced obesity feeding. And this is not like, um, what is that? Faux gras or whatever it is, like where you literally shove tubes down ducks throats and just shove food in them. Um, you, 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 for these studies they you have to give these mice something that's highly palatable to make them want to eat so that they literally do become obese of their own volition. So totally not even part of the study, but look what they did. And it, there's some really good detail. First of all, I should go back and show you, I think this was done in Lithuania or somewhere, some sports performance place. It was a super, super well done detailed study. Um, but you know, they're, they're going through all of the details. Like here's, here are the living parameters for these mice. And this was the temperature in the room and the humidity of the, the chamber and this, and we put five mice per, uh, you know, unit and we did this and this and this. So it was so, so, so well controlled, uh, even down to saying, here's exactly where we got this food. It was from this, this food company. And, you know, here are the lot numbers for the feed. Uh, again, just, Incredibly well done. I mean, I, I know you have to do a lot of that for proper research, but it's it's good to see sometimes. So in in making these mice obese, they fed them forty five percent fat food, so this feed, and it was seventeen point five percent sugar. So right there, this is the irony. We're doing a study comparing low fat and low carb, high fat and high carb diets. Before we get to the dieting phase, we have to make this, this organism fat. So how are we going to do it? We don't just give them a low-fat, high-carb diet because in the 
carbohydrate insulin model, it's all carbs, right? Like you got to give people carbs. It's all about the glycemic index and insulin. No, you give them fat, you give them a high fat diet and they become obese, especially highly palatable, high fat foods, meaning sugar. So just keep that in the back of your mind, not part of the study, but really, really interesting. And it'll come back in some of the data. Uh, so then they went on a six week calorie restriction, 16 mice in each group. Uh, there was a low fat diet, which was 20% protein, 60% carbs, 20% fats, low carb diet, 20% protein, still 20% carbs, 60% fat. So inverse, uh, notice that that is not a ketogenic diet. You still have 20% of calories coming from protein, even in the, uh, high fat group and also 20% of carbs again. So two reasons why this is not classic ketogenic, not even sure we'd call it modified keto since we have that much protein plus some carbohydrate, but it, it is certainly a low carb diet. Um, I, th they get into in the, in the narrative, why they wanted to include protein. And, and I'll point out some of those spots, but instead of just the high carb, low carb, high fat, low fat with a control group, they threw in this third group with higher protein. And I'll, I'll just say initially, before I read you their words, um, there, 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 there's some contention that in a low carb diet, not keto, low carb, most people from a practical standpoint, increase their protein. So they wanted to do a test like that. Let's see if we can add a study group kind of off to the side that we just, you know, moder modify the, the ratios a bit. So this becomes 35% carbs, 30% fat. So it is almost kind of a 30, 40, 30 thing. And let's just see if the protein is a factor, if that does anything good or bad. So here, here's how this kind of broke down. It's just uh, kind of a restatement of what I just described, the, the percentages and so forth. But again, it goes into, you know, even like I said, there are lot numbers and all that. I'll just get past this. So let's start looking at some of the, the numbers here. I'm, I'm going to dig right into the results, which again, this, this is why I, I kind of had fun reviewing this study because it, it was so well done that instead of it looking like a literature review where they're discussing 150 different studies and comparing it back and forth, uh, although they mention many, many, many of those as any good piece of research would, uh, you know, they just, they just went dove right into the results. So I'm, I'm going to do the same. Um, in body mass, you see the, the pre and the post. So this is just total body weight and they were in a calorie deficit. Um, so the control group on the far left, then the lightest shade of gray is the low fat diet. So you can see right away the low fat diet, they lost a little bit more Then the low carb diet, uh, you know, lost some clearly, um, not as much. And then the high protein, more 30, 40, 30 ish balanced group lost the same as the low carb. So who's in third place here? It's the high fat, low carb diet. So right off the bat, you know, again, not a ton though. I mean, per their own headline or title of the study, 
all three groups lost incredibly similar amounts of weight. So pick, pick your poison. As long as you're eating the right amount of calories, you're going to lose weight. When we get into some of the details, you'll, you'll see why you may choose one methodology over the other. So let me, uh, let me skip ahead over here. Those are just two different graphs looking at the same thing. Um, now we're going to look at actual muscle mass. And I, I think they were kind of you know, surprised at this, that again, all three groups ended up close to the same. Um, but um, th they did note that in most situations, most diets, you, you just plan on from start to finish. If I lose 25 pounds or 50 pounds or 150 pounds, about 25% of that weight is going to be lean body mass. And that includes glycogen. It includes hydration. Uh, it's not necessarily just fat mass versus muscle. It's lean body mass, which is anything but fat mass compared to fat mass. And they also note that for most dieting, most research, most subjects, once you bring food back up a little bit, hopefully even responsibly, you know, incrementally, a lot of that lean body mass comes back. And once again, that's because a large portion of it is in the form of glycogen and hydration. So, you know, you, you kind of rebuild that, that muscular fullness, so to speak, but you're not really losing skeletal muscle. You're losing some amino acid content, some glycogen, some hydration. Um, so combined muscle mass, um, let me see, I don't think it's muscle mass loss. I think it's muscle mass retained. So the low fat group here uh, actually maintained, wait, combined muscle mass percent of body mass. Yeah. So the again, the higher carb group maintained more lean body mass. Uh, um, and the higher protein group, you know, also right up there. So the, the low carb, high fat group, they lost the least amount of body weight and they lost the most lean body mass. So we're, we're at strike two with two variables, not massive changes, but it's statistically it's there. And so the longer you diet, this is a six week diet. The longer you diet, that's going to continue to play out, which we've seen in many, many other studies. So now we're looking at actual fat mass, and uh, now we're looking at the, the low-fat diet. Uh, they are, uh, again, winning. You know, you're, you're losing more, more body fat, and the, the low-carb diet is, is close. The high-protein diet's very similar. This is what the thing that they, they uh, mentioned that was kind of weird, is it seems that the low-fat, higher-carb diet with 20% of calories from protein was almost identical across the board in every category to the high protein, which is 35% protein, but you drop carbs from 60% down to 35 and you didn't really get much out of that. Matter of fact, they show you, you get nothing. It's, it's, it's the same across the board. So it seems you get a choice. Um, 20% of calories from protein does the job that's higher than the, uh, you know, it's literally about two times the RDA, which we know all science agencies that are relevant to, to that, uh, field of study say is probably the best place to shoot. 
And so you're already there at 20%. You go higher up to 35% and you get no, no benefit. You, you know, you just, you, you could have replaced those with carbs and had the exact same result. So that, that's, that's why they wanted to, to throw that one in there. Um, here, here, here's some of the, the data now in numerical value. And what, I don't want to say it surprised them, but it, it kind of did. I, I guess they did mention the fact that we expect a certain amount of lean body mass loss. Uh, and, and they mentioned that almost invariably every study, it's just always 25%, 25%. That's the aggregate number. But they said for some reason in our study, like we just didn't see any, like there was virtually no lean body mass loss. And there could be a couple of reasons. They don't necessarily go into the significance of this, but part of it is when they were giving these mice their calorie deficit feed, they would give it to them one time per day in the morning. And within that framework of this is the calorie deficit, this is the food you get, it was ad libitum after that. And, and there were some days, some mice in some of these subject groups that didn't even eat all their food. You know, they were in a calorie deficit and yet they were sated enough that they actually, you know, didn't even finish. So to me, that shows almost physiologically that whether it's just the, the, the calorie deficit they chose or the fact that even the low carb, high fat group still wasn't a keto. It, they still had 20% of calories from protein. They still had 20% of calories from, from carbs. And so those may be minimum viable thresholds where you have just enough protein and carbohydrate for the anabolic and metabolic effects to literally spare protein, spare lean body mass. So I think inadvertently that, that really does show a, a really good data point. I mean, they, like I said, they, they just displayed some, some shock. Um, but, but yeah, I think they really kind of showed something there. So this, by the way, um, if you, if you couldn't figure this out, this, this was actual lean body mass in weight. So they're looking at that in mice, their legs are where they carry most of their muscle. So the gastrox, plantarius, soleus, tibias, anterior, extensor, digitorum, longus, like those are all like the hind leg muscles. And from the control group over, you know, you just don't see that much muscle loss. So now we're looking at body fat at, at major sites. So the subcutaneous body fat, the mesenteric or kind of truncal, the uh, perennial, uh, interscapular, you know, the brown fat that we have on our backs, even humans, more metabolically active and, and significant in some ways metabolically. Uh, they show the control group. So these these particular mice in the control group, you know, did weren't in a calorie deficit. They were fed to a point of just maintenance. And then you look at actual body fat, uh, you know, in these groups, uh, body fat lost and the, uh, uh, the low fat group versus the low carb group, looking at those two in the center, uh, the low, I'm sorry, this is, this is how much fat was left. So again, um, you know, doing, doing the math here, the fact that the low fat group did exceed uh, and kind of win this one as well. And then that correlates a little bit better, even to the high protein group. So, so the amount of fat that was left, um, you know, you can see the low carb group had almost twice as much 
body fat left in three of these five areas. So even though they lost, um, you know, less body fat, or, or I should say, even though they lost a, a similar amount of body weight, you can see that they lost more lean body mass in some regards and, and held on to more body fats. So again, this is why I said, I think their study title was a little bit misleading because I, I think it clearly shows some differences in macronutrient distribution. So then let's look over here at the organs. Um, they, they just, they didn't make a, it just, it's not, not that relevant to some of the things we're looking at, but they did talk about the fact that for longevity and so forth, your amount of cardiac muscle tissue versus body weight and so forth, that matters for efficiency and strength and all of that. And, and again, the low, you know, they just kind of were about the same across the board and had they before they destroyed the animals and done did the autopsies and so forth, you probably would have seen a lot of this come back to normal as well, just like lean body mass. But again, not, not too relevant to what we're talking about. So now let's look at blood glucose. Um, there, there's actually one area where the low fat group did not do as well. There's one particular blood lipid marker where the, the higher fat group did well. And, and this shows, A, that calories still matter, energy balance matters as much as anything. And yet, even though we all like to think in black and white terms, one diet is perfectly better or worse than another, and this is the clear winner, there is kind of a mixed bag. I mean, not, not too many advantages to the higher fat diet, but uh, the, the blood glucose or, or carbohydrate insulin model does have some impact. It's just not what it was purported to be before all of this type of research. So let's look at this real quick in the blood glucose. Are you looking at blood gl glucose clearing, blood glucose disposal? You see the control group way up there high. So you get a certain, you know, food bolus, and then there's your blood sugar response. Well, the, the low fat diet, the blood glucose is much better it's way down there. So, so the two lines that are just side by side, right on top of each other, that's the high protein, moderate, you know, balanced diet and the, the low fat. So tell me why, again, and, and we've talked about this before in research reviews, in the car carbohydrate insulin model specific to diabetics, because that's where we like to talk about it clinically, we always say you have diabetes, pre-diabetes, Reduce your carbs, reduce your carbs, reduce your carbs. Well, here you go. Here's a high fat diet with low carbs once again, and blood sugar levels are not as good as a lower fat, higher carb diet. And I, I remember when I first started out in my career, I'm talking 25, 30 years ago, it, it almost made me angry that the Dietetic Association would still recommend, you know, that every single meal for like, if you went, if you went to a hospital system and sat down with a registered dietitian, it was just textbook that you were going to have three meals a day with 45 grams of carbs and two snacks a day with 15 to 30 grams of carbs. And I would be like, wow, like, why would you give all of that carbohydrate to a diabetic? You know, they need to be on lower carbs. It needs to be 30, 40, 30 or less, you know, less carbs. And it just, that's just not how your body works. I mean, fat has a, an insulin stimulus reaction 
that is even greater because of, of just kind of a cascade of physiological processes. But just, you know, I, I point that out because I want you to see that and, and not be as confused as most people would be because it does seem counterintuitive that if you want to control blood sugar, let's get rid of carbs. If you want really good blood sugar, let's get rid of carbs completely. Not true. You want to bring carbs to a manageable, usable lever, level, focus on quality, but make sure it's a low fat diet. So again, just represented a little bit differently over here on the right in a bar graph instead of that XY axis. And uh, you can see that the low fat diet and the moderate fat, higher protein, moderate carb diet are, are identical. Uh, let's get over here. And so now we'll look at blood lipids and you're gonna see that for cholesterol, um, you know, total cholesterol uh, and um, just the HDLs, you've got the low fat diet. And again, just totally parallel in a sister analysis here, the uh, high protein are the same and the low carb fails again. And, you know, this, this is one of the things that it really does still make me angry that in the keto crowd, they purport that a low carb diet helps with heart health. It does not. It, it may help better than a control group, you know, com compared to not losing at all, not being in a calorie deficit. Sure, if you're going to diet and you really prefer a zero carb or low carb or ketogenic diet, you can show some improvements but you'll never be better or healthier than with a lower fat, higher slash moderate carb diet. So finally, we look at energy intake. And as I would expect, it's just kind of the same. You know, uh, all of these mice were in a calorie deficit. And so you give them their food for the day. Most of them are going to eat it. Uh, but there were, like I said, some, some variation in like, you know, some mice, some days just weren't quite as hungry and energy intake. This, this is where, uh, I, I will say that some of the higher fat, uh, mice probably outshined and, and that is a marketing, uh, you know, tagline or marketing point to high fat diets is you're, you're fuller, right? Like you can't eat too many steaks or too many sticks of butter. You're before you're like, I just don't want any more. And so from a volumetric standpoint, you can feel fuller, but you also run into the problem that blood sugar is still the biggest mediator of hunger cues. And so that's why people who are in ketogenic or low carb diets in every test imaginable, every bit of research, they have higher incidences of binge eating disorder and eating disorders in general, the worst sustainability. So, you know, again, though, four mice in a six week study, you know, that, that was one of those little nuances that were like, okay, maybe, maybe a little slight point to some of the lower, lower carb, higher fat diets for satiety in some situations, but in human studies, definitely not long-term. So then energy expenditure, you know, again, very, very similar. And, and this goes to the heart of their title, which is that total body mass lost, total energy expenditure, et cetera, not that significant. I mean, look, if, if even though you see these little changes here, it's not that much. And again, this is where the low uh, carb, higher fat diets, you know, maybe they did feel a little bit more stable, you know, because of 
being more fat adapted. You, you, you get to that point if you are on true low carb or modified keto or keto, where your body does start using fat a little bit more efficiently. Uh, doesn't mean you're using calories more efficiently. It means you're using your the fat intake more efficiently. You're actually adapting for survival. But I, I would agree with them that this, this is pretty insignificant. Like everybody had the same about amount of body mass loss and energy uh, changes, metabolism, et cetera, were about the same. Uh, so activity levels, uh, you see that the low fat diet, they just had a little bit more activity, of course, because they have more energy, they're eating carbs. So again, not dramatically significant, but you know, there's, there's a, a tilt in that, uh, favor, uh, respiratory expired gases. Another thing kind of like the fruit fly study we went over last week, they're measuring these things in their, their enclosed chambers. So almost like a VO2 max or metabolic cart test in a human, they can get pretty good calculations on these things. And, you know, again, not any real significant change there, but let's get into some of these discussion points and then I will see what you guys think. So our results show that dietary carbohydrate and fat ratio in a hypocaloric and protein equated diets did not play a major role in weight loss. Also, we determined that isochloric diet with higher protein content has similar effects on weight loss as the low fat, low carb diet without any additional benefits on lean body mass retention. So case in point, almost doubling the protein and it had no additional benefits in lean body mass retention because we'd already met that minimum protein threshold. It appears that improvements in glucose tolerance and reduction in blood cholesterol were closely linked to weight loss rather than macronutrient distribution. And that's where I showed you that I, I kind of disagreed. I mean, it seemed like, especially in blood glucose, like there was a big difference. Like here was, here was the control group. Here was the low carb group. And then the low fat and the high protein group, they were significantly better, but I guess it depends on how you define significant, at least relative to each other. Uh, it, it appeared significant to me. Um, so plasma glycerol levels tended to show a decrease in mice fed to low carb compared to low fat or high protein diets. And that particular uh, glycerol, that particular lipid is uh, related to some heart disease issues. And so, uh, you know, I, I think they, they contend that, you know, this is, we don't think this is an outlier. This, this was statistically significant so if the low fat diets are so much better across the board, why is this one uh, more responsive to a higher fat, low carb diet? And that just may be one of those very nuanced physiological effects of, you know, just, just the type of macronutrient distribution. You know, I, I think there should be a difference and, uh, in some things, and this is just one that is is solidly in line with um, with the higher fat group. But again, don't mistake that for the fact that total cholesterol is still more important. And if, if you're, you know, if you had to make a trade and you had 19 out of 20 things that were beneficial over here in this one little subset of a nuanced group of total lipids and total cholesterol, just happen to improve counter to everything else, that doesn't mean that you all of a sudden run over here and say, yay, see, I told you so this one thing out of 20, that's why a high fat diet is better. It's still clearly not. It was just something that I wanted to, to bring forth because they, you know, they showed that it was a clear distinction. Um, let me move on over here. 
results of our caloric restriction study contradict some key concepts of the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity, which has been advanced by some and criticized by others. And this really is, if you guys aren't familiar with the, the total generational shifts and uh, conversations going on, going along with fat metabolism and body fat, body composition change in research, like that's, that's a clear debate. The carbohydrate insulin model, we need low carbs, low carbs, low carbs for all those reasons. And now we are showing as this study did that that's nothing like that doesn't have anything to do with it. it first of all, it's total calories. Then a lower fat model improves everything compared to the, you know, focusing just on insulin and glycemic index. So according to the carbohydrate insulin model, high carbohydrate diets elevate blood insulin secretion, tra quote, trap fat in the body by suppressing fat as fatty acid oxidation, as well as promoting lipogenesis and apoptosis tissue. It is speculated that high carb diets lead to low, avail uh, low availability of energy and metabolically active tissue and create a state of internal starvation, blah, 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 blah. However, these predictions are supported by only a few studies. So a whole lot of theory, a whole lot of blather, but yet when you come down to very controlled studies like this, it always shows the opposite. So as they go on, on the other hand, uh, those have been, there, there have been a significant amount of evidence that contradicts carbohydrate insulin models and show no effect of reduced carbohydrate on weight loss, uh, et cetera. And so and they're just kind of restating what I, what I've already described. Our results also show no difference between low carb and low fat diets in fat loss and energy expenditure uh, during caloric restriction with equated protein intake. So their ultimate conclusion, which is coming up here, well, let me just scoot over to that. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back to those last, those two slides I just skipped, but I want you to read this first. In summary, our results show that macronutrient distribution and diet has a rather small effect on changes in body composition and glucose tolerance of obese mice. However, blood lipid profile seems to be affected by the carb and fat ratio in the diet. Uh, increases in protein from 20 to 35% did not provide additional benefits to body comp or health markers. So just to summarize what I, what I agree with wholeheartedly, and this is a mantra I think you're going to hear over and over and over for many years moving forward, is all of these fights between low carb, low fat, and macronutrient distribution total calories are, is still foundational. That's just foundational. Like you got it. You just bring your calories down where you want. Even if you've got some day-to-day -day fluctuation and you're practicing flexible dieting and you're tracking macronutrients, you, that should always be your foundational level. Any day that you're working toward a goal and you have body comp changes in mind, you're trying to stay on track, you're trying to make sure you're, you're taking care of that metabolic switch and metabolic positioning. Even if you can't get the food you want, you can't have the, the what you think is, quote, the right ratio of carbs to fat to protein. If you just have the amount of calories that would still equate to the energy intake you want for your goal, it's going to be a perfect day. It's not just an okay day. It's not just I skated by the skin of my teeth day. If your calories are where they need to be, even if it wasn't exactly how you wish they had been, that is a perfect day. It's still going to get you exactly where you want to go. But if you're interested in the fat versus carb phenomena, 
then, you know, we can go back and we can we can look at the fact that even though they say they don't feel like there was a lot of difference in blood glucose disposal, there was, and other studies show it to be, uh, you definitely retain some extra lean body mass, especially the longer you go. You retain more metabolic capacity the longer you go. So, you know, the, the, the one thing, uh, as they kind of restate their premise here, you know, kind of per se, um, and I just, I just kind of disagree with that. And I don't think their data really support it as much, but th they did compare their study to other studies. And they said, you know, they, they admitted that nevertheless, we did observe a tendency for a larger decrease in body mass and energy expenditure for the high protein diet compared to the low carbohydrate diet. Indeed, five mice out of 16 mice did not consume all of the prescribed food in the high protein group. Uh, while only two mice behave this way for the low fat group and none in the low carb group. So wait a second, I, I actually missed this on my first read when I was talking about kind of the ad libitum nature. It wasn't the high uh, fat group that performed the best. It was actually the higher protein group that decided like, I mean, I'm eating so much protein, like I'm just full, I'm done eating for the day, which is really weird for an animal. Like um, my dog would eat anything. And so... Uh, but five mice out of the 16 did not consume all the prescribed food in the high protein group, while two behave this way in the low fat group and none in the low carb group. So I was absolutely dead wrong. The low carb, high fat group, they were eating. And, and I would, and I would assume that was because like I mentioned with blood sugar, they were looking for energy, even though they had that higher volume volumetrically in their diet, more fat should be more sating. Uh, it just wasn't so. I'm glad I picked that up because I, I was wrong on the, the first part. So anyway, let me, uh, let me back out of here. And uh, I know we've just got JR and Kevin live. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts and comments, especially for the nature of recording this for people to watch on the playback later. Just any, any helpful thoughts, comments, things that you've experienced in your own dieting. I mean, both of you guys have, have done extremely well with your personal health. Anything, Kevin? I know I've cycled years ago. I cycled back and forth with uh, a modified keto and, you know, just a, a normal, moderate, I would just say normal eating patterns now, uh, which is just non, non high fat. But, um, and you cut to the chase, it, the best thing is whatever the best plan is one that you're going to follow. It seems so it is profoundly simple and seems like there's a catch, but at the end of the day, it's what it comes down to. So if it's keto, cool. As long as you're not a righteous douche. Cool. You know, that works with you. I don't have any issues with that, but um, it's, it's the whole, I'm trying not to just go into a diatribe and just echo what you've been saying anyways, but um, so I'll prevent it from going down that way. I have, I have dabbled with both ends of the continuum. I will say when I did more of a keto high fat approach, there were remarkable binges that at the time, you know, I'm embarrassed now in retrospect, just because it was disgusting and obvious, but at that time I didn't know any better. And, you know, now I know better and therefore it's a learning experience to help others prevent from going down that that pathway because it is 
easy to understand why it's so unsustainable, despite what even evidence may say. Um, but the evidence is still pretty scant, even if there is some to support it. But it, I, much like what you would probably say, it doesn't have to be either or. You can still take principles from both sides and apply it to you what's contextually appropriate. And sometimes it is, maybe it's a lowerish fat or lowerish carbs, but does, that doesn't mean zero. Mm-hmm. A lot of wiggle room there for. Well, and, and for the sake of people who may not have been part of any of our previous research reviews, just to let everybody know, you, you have successfully lost more than 120 pounds. You've kept it off for over a decade. You are a professor of nursing practice. You have your doctorate in that. So you both have the clinical knowledge and the experience. I mean, how many people watching this have lost 120 pounds and, and kept it off? So um, for you to say, hey, you know, I've eaten different ways and it can work like that's that's the ultimate truth. I think they were trying to convey. And yet baked into that cake is, is it really okay for you? Are you really doing your best? Because I've done massive stints of exact keto and vegetarianism and all kinds of different things to self-experiment. And like you, I mean, on the, on the keto, you know, super low carb, I would binge. I felt awful. I had no energy. Testosterone plummeted. I lost lean body mass like crazy. You can compare these before and after pictures as a retired professional bodybuilder. I've got those, that evidence, they know those photos and all of that blood work. And you can see how awful I looked. Um, so I, I try to steer people into more moderate, at least like they did for their second control group, which was higher protein, more of a 30, 40, 30, um, they said the protein was actually completely ineffectual, the increase, but we still had zero comparison or, or zero change in comparison to lean body mass retention and body fat loss. So it's still good. And, and to that point, I have a client right now who just enjoys a higher amount of fat. And so she will consume on a typical day about 100 grams of protein, 100 grams of carbs, and 60 grams of fat, you know, and, you know, for most people, I might say, well, maybe you should get those carbs up to 120, 130, 140, and let's pull that fat down to 30 or 35 or 40. Like, let's get you closer to 20, 25% of fat intake. But the, first of all, she does have a background dieting in keto. So every time she has dieted, she equates it to those kinds of foods And so there's that habitual nature, but also, um, you know, she may genuinely just feel better. You know, it's still pretty isocaloric in in terms of, you know, protein, carbs, and fat. Hey, no problem. More power to you. If that's what you like to do, do that. And And it's hard to get clients to do this, but I really wish people would be okay, as I stated earlier, really dogmatically, to be okay with your calories being similar, but let yourself experiment within those ranges. Like maybe you'd take a day or two and have a little bit more fat and lower carb and tinker around, you know, kick the tires on some different ways of eating, even in different contexts. Like this is a workout day. This is a rest day. And maybe you feel better doing things differently. Maybe this day you have five meals a day and eating this way it's better to eat three or four and you actually feel more sated and more stable. There are just so many things you can do. 
And yet, as this study, the, the main point of their conclusion was calories matter most, energy balance matters most. So, you know, as you said, Kevin, just do what works for you. I want to add to that, do what works for you, but really stretch out and explore and see what could work for you even more so. Uh, when clients work with coaches, they seem to kind of put those blinders on and like, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Like, whatever you want me to do, just tell me what to do, coach. I'll do it. And like some good coaches really want you to participate a little bit more and, and, and explore. So anything you want to add to that? Cause I, I kind of ran with your, your statements there. If I, if I never experimented with eating more carbs to begin with, who knows what my sustainability or maintenance trajectory would have looked like 10 years ago. Um, but it, you know, it was more or less around that point when binging, you know, simply stop, stop, simply started, simply stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it did, it, I didn't have that in, intrinsic risk of feeling like I'm going to lose control. Um, and it, it's just, it's, it's obvious in retrospect, but those going through it, they don't know any better because they don't know necessarily what the other side may may think they just have that fear that others may have been told or told them. Um, and perhaps they do have a legitimate fright about increased carbs and what that could insinuate. But then again, there's a lot of wiggle room between what, you know, what's, what's just right. What's too little, what's too much. Um, but nevertheless, just having the, the ability to experiment, try, and I don't know, it's, that's, it's just so, uh, it seems so profoundly obvious to, you know, to say and have others do it themselves. But you know, you're not, you're not going to know until you do. And I'm far healthier and happier than I did ten years ago. It really coincides well with what we talked about in the nutrition coaching global mastermind this week with with some you know elite coaches around the world talking about uh, flexible restraint. And in a practical sense, because then we talked about it here in our live support chats this week as a topic, you know, think of it like this. I've got my plan and and maybe over the weekend or whatever, I kind of plan my days, my week, because I still to to this day do some food prep over the weekend. My wife and I go to the grocery store, you know, Friday, Saturday, and then it's like, okay, clean these vegetables, cook this, bulk cook some rice, some chicken, some turkey, whatever. And like, here are these staples for the week. So just like a bodybuilder, you know, when I was competing as a pro, that's what you did. I, it's still a very valuable structure. Um, so here's my plan. Here's what I'm going to do. But what if something happens? And I'm like, wait, now I got this emergency trip. Blunt. I could pull out of the office and I got to go through a drive-through. Well, if, if I can even just say, okay, well, I had carbs, fat at this level, again, going to macronutrient tracking and, you know, does that mean I could modify a later meal or maybe I ate enough that I'm skipping a snack? And even at the end of the day, let's say my carbs or fat are higher or lower in one category or the other. But if I have one eye on just the reality and the intuitive nature of eating, well, I don't have to get stuck in just the numbers and think, oh, my gosh, I just blew the day. I, my carbs and fat, like the numbers aren't going to work out calorically, 
what if you're, what if it's still really close? Like that's still a great day. And, and so even in terms of just not experimenting, but just living day to day practically, you know, that can be incredibly helpful. I was talking to a client this week and I said, look, you know, you're kind of on the edge. I know we're, we're pushing really hard and you're probably, you know, you've got these spots that you're really hungry as a first line defense against hunger. And I know you, you have all of your meals planned, just be okay with eating a meal early. Like maybe you just ate and you're still so hungry because you were so metabolically active. You just worked out two hours ago. Maybe you need to eat two meals together and then you're not hungry for four or five hours. And again, the day still worked out just fine, even though it wasn't quote perfect if you have some kind of a meal schedule. So I, I think that that's just that dance between structure and flexibility we always talk about. But I'll, I'll close this up here. This particular study was just really good at showing that you know, these different layers walking up the ladder of from calorie intake and energy balance to the amount of protein, the amount of carbs, the amount of fat, meal timing. We walk up these ladders that are more and more detailed. Even if you're just falling back to that bottom step, it's perfect. So anyway, thanks. Uh, thanks, Kevin, as always. Great, great comments and wisdom. JR, thanks for being here. Uh, everybody who watches is on the playback. Just remember that on our YouTube channel, the playlist, there are, I think, almost 40 or 50 of these. Uh, you can always go to our website, uh, thedietdoc.com currently to get ad nauseum amounts of things we've done in different, different areas. So I will see you guys next week. Have a good weekend.